Hello, friends. It is Josh Bowe and Kirk Henderson, and we are coming to you for a sort of special edition of the Mavs Moneyball podcast. Uh, we are previewing the upcoming playoff series with the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers. And, you know, it's very funny. Josh and I just had kind of a pregame or pre-show talk, and there's there's a lot of different ways we could go with this. Usually, when it, we were so excited last year about the playoffs where we kind of mapped out all of our, our playoff preview coverage we did a ton of stuff ton of work and then when it comes down to it playoff preview stuff has a shelf life (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and we you know we want to approach this uh with the cat you know we don't want to exactly approach it with the casual nature of the mavericks playing a sub 500 team but we we at the same time like there's just there's only so much you can talk about about a team that you've seen before and so with with that i i I think we should sort of jump right in but josh how are you I'm good. Uh, I will just let the listeners know that I almost drove Kirk to insanity because he, to do a little inside baseball behind the scenes of how good I am at planning, he messaged me at like sometime in five <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon and was like, let's podcast tonight. Can you do that? And I was like, yes, I can. In fact, like, let's do this. And I even gave him times uh, at 830 Central Time and the nine o'clock Central Time came by and I was talking in Slack and Kirk was like, Hey, buddy. And I'm like, oh, uh, I failed. So I think it's like I want to blame the baby because she was having a, a crying fit. But Kirk knows me well enough to know that even if the baby did not exist yet, uh, this probably still would have happened. So uh, I'll just chalk that up to uh, to a lot of dead brain cells over the last five years. Well, speaking of dead brain cells, what's about to happen with the Dallas Mavericks might involve some dead brain cells by the time we're done with it. Uh, you know, in terms of big season, you know, a look at the season games that they played. They played a a 50-point blowout, and then they played a back-to-back. Uh, was it right after All-Star break, kind of? It was like a five-game stretch. Yep, really it tough was, stretch. It was their third. It was their second and third games after the All-Star break. And they split with those two games uh Mm -hmm. so they somehow didn't they or did they lose both they split yeah okay they're basically it they're they're like mirror games Uh, yes it's really funny yes and i think if and i for those who haven't listened to me talking with sabrina merchant uh on uh wednesday i recommend you go back and listen because she sort of said that that was the last time that the clippers were whole uh, because Serge Ibaka's missed a huge chunk of time, and they've just had enough injuries, though they're kind of coming together healthy now. And when I look ahead to this game, what I really think is I, I think back to uh, you know August, September of twenty, you know, whenever the heck the playoffs were in twenty twenty down in Orlando, and this feels there's just not much that's changed in terms of big picture looks at both of these teams. The Clippers seem to be in a better place than they were. Um, maybe it's because Kawhi, Kawhi and Paul George are like practicing together. Uh, but they still did, you know, they still sort of underperformed because they're a four seed, uh, in, in, a, in the Western conference. And they've kind of been looked at as a top two team and they, they tanked to play their way to the Mavericks, which sort of says something about how they feel in their own confidence coach. Tron Lou had a kind of crazy quote yesterday that reminded me of the Mike, Mike Gundy. Uh, I'm a man. I'm 40 thing about how he doesn't care what people say online about the strategy, which means he absolutely cares about the strategy. Don't of, put of in the tanking. newspaper that I was mad. Right, right. Very drill. Um, and it, I, I, I see, you know, 
I, I still think back to to Marcos, uh, one of my Twitter followers, telling me that the Mavericks have a low floor and a high ceiling, and that's how I feel about this playoff series. To where my 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 brain is telling me the Clippers are better, therefore the Clippers are going to win. But I see just enough aspects of the Mavericks coming out firing and really stealing momentum away from the Clippers. Is that crazy? No, that's that's I think that's why this Mavericks team has driven people crazy this season, which I coincidentally wrote about and published today about how it seems like when you follow this team online, everyone is losing their minds over it. And I think that's why um, your friend, a friend of the site, uh, my online online acquaintance, I would say, uh, Matt Moore had the hilarious stat that. Dallas versus teams with top 10 in point differential this season. <laughs> They're ninth in offense, third in defense, third in point differential, 11-2 and two record. I mean, that's top 10 point differential teams. Dallas versus bottom 10 teams in point differential, 18th in offense, 28th in defense, 24th in point differential, 14-10 uh, and 10 record. So just kind of goes with what we've been seeing. They they kind of slog through the games against the bad teams. They, re- they rested a lot of players, but... When they've played good teams, they have generally been up for it when they've been fully healthy. So the split, I felt like, was really potentially indicative of what this playoff series could go by. You know, it was basically the Clippers blew out the Mavericks, basically led them by double digits the whole way. Then the Mavericks kind of did the same thing uh, the very next game. And I could just see this being like maybe Clippers win game one by 12 and the Mavericks win game two by 14. Cause they make their adjustments. Uh, and Ricardo has such an advantage, you know, in the playoffs. Cause this is usually, this is when he unloads the bag of tricks that he's been saving all season. Uh, so yeah, I totally see it. I mean, we've seen this Mavericks team beat top 10 teams somewhat consistently all season. Uh, and their bugaboo was they just couldn't beat the, the bad teams consistently. So it's just weird. It's a it's a weird feeling because usually that's that's reversed. You don't follow a lot of teams like the Mavericks that have that have these really weird trends. Uh, not to mention the fact that they've spent the majority of the first quarters this season losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that first quarter stat is absolutely hilarious. The twenty seven and zero. So it's it's weird. It's hard to get a feeling on this team, and especially with everything that happened this season with COVID, condensed schedule, like. There's so much that I'm just like, what is real and what is not real? And I feel like we won't know until this playoff series is over. And so here's so I, I think at this point, we should talk a little bit about some of the data that you got into just looking at the Clippers today. And it can't properly be stated. Well, I mean, we're going to try, but the Clippers on paper are so much better than the Mavericks. <laughs> I mean, it's a fucking yeah. chasm of difference. The Clippers are, their offense is better this year than the Mavericks' record-breaking offense last year. They yep. are mowing teams down. And we primarily don't hear about it because they're the Clippers, because there's been a lot of drama in Los Angeles and in the play-in. But the Clippers have just sort of bebopped around to a team that has, like, I mean, if if you put Luca with these shooters, uh, the, you might have the best offense by a bajillion miles. Like they have so many good shooters who are connecting on threes. Talk talk to us a little bit about what you dug into today. Well, Kirk, they have nine rotation that I would say nine legitimate rotation players that shoot thirty nine percent or better from three. 
Um, that's outrageous. Like, <laughs> how many players do the Mavericks have that do that? Yeah, yeah exactly. the Mavericks have been running a seven man rotation for the last two months. Uh, basically, everyone the Clippers play besides uh, uh, Iveka Zubak uh, and Serge Ibaka, who is actually kind of dipped. Like, he's normally like a pretty he's, like he's an average three point shooter. He's at thirty, basically thirty four percent. Everyone else they play. Uh, in their rotation makes threes and I'm not, I'm not joking. Um, the, 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 the team leaders in games played Zubak leads the team in games played. Obviously he's not, a, he's a, he's a center. He's not a three point shooter. Uh, but then it's Batum 40%, uh, Reggie Jackson, 43%, Terrence Mann, 41.8%, Luke Kennard, 44%, Marcus Morris, 47%. Then you get to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, 41 and 39% respectively, um Patrick Patterson 35% Patrick Beverly who's going to try to you know I think maybe play more games this series than he did last year he's they seem to have kind of been holding him out for the playoffs he's 39% uh Rondo <laughs> Rajon Rondo our old pal uh obviously he's not a high volume guy but in the 18 games he's played since being traded for Lou Williams he's shooting 43% from three uh it's outrageous and oh by the way like two of the names I mentioned Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are all defense capable wings so i still like last year when i was doing this playoff preview and writing the playoff preview i was like this is the most talented roster in the nba and i don't Mm -hmm. think it's even close and i don't think anything has really changed like just on paper this is a this is a crazy collection of talent uh that all shoot well usually when you get talent that you you accumulate this much talent in the NBA with the way the cap space is and how you can kind of divvy up the money. Maybe the the, the fit isn't all the way there, but on paper the fit is here because usually it's like, oh well, this guy isn't a good shooter, or you know, like remember when the 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 LeBron and, and Wade and, and Bosch joined the Heat, the big thing was like, well, they're not there's not a bunch of shooters. They kind of had to develop into that like a little bit. Like all these guys can shoot. Uh so like even if the parts don't fit perfectly, like if everyone can shoot that kind of makes that kind of makes things a lot easier to fit together like if if some guy doesn't have the ball at least he's an off ball threat because all these guys are shooting 40 percent from three uh it's outrageous i don't think there's any other team in the nba that is close you know maybe the jazz they are the only other team that can come close to this this depth of of offensive talent in terms of just shooting the basketball which is like the whole point of the game yeah Uh, i the guarding them becomes such a problem in a hurry because you know not to crush my my wonderful our wonderful friend bobby corrala but his tweet about the mavericks having good rules i'm just gonna dunk on him with that for the end of time if the mavericks either this is like the fifth time you brought it up because it's such a silly thing to say as much as i understand why he said it because at some point rules meet reality and so if you're forcing sh- a good shooting team to take good shots, what does it matter? The good shooting team is likely to win out over the over the long haul, and it, particularly in a seven-game series, just the way it goes. And I, I just don't know what the Mavericks are going to do if, I don't know, th- this kind of comes back to, the thought of of Porzingis has to be the player that the Mavericks wanted him to be on defense. If he is a challenge on defense, if he can't move, then this series has a as a opportunity to be ugly quickly. Um, 
I'm hoping that that's kind of the case because it's just there, man, I'm going to be very interested to see what kind of game, like pace this game is played at because the Clippers, you know, this has kind of been for, forgotten to history because Luca's game performance was so impressive, but what was lost to that performance is the Mavericks were down 20 in that game and the Clippers simply took their foot off the gas. And this very quickly could have been a gentleman's sweep had that, you know, had the Clippers not done that. And I just don't see them doing it again. They seem to be in a better place headspace-wise. They seem to like their coach a lot more. I think Doc Rivers had kind of worn them out. I personally believe that Rick Carlisle can coach circles around Tyrone Liu. But if they're at such a talent disadvantage, the Mavericks are going to have to find some inefficiencies in the game. And when you just look at like kind of the raw numbers in the advanced numbers, I, I'm not sure where the Mavericks go from here because, you know, we didn't, I, we talked about this a lot last year, like Zubak guarded Luca on a, in terms of a, a big man switch as good as any big in the league. And, and so they just have this, this fleet of six foot seven to six foot nine dudes to throw at Luca and length is all that really bothers him anymore. You know, like strength certainly does it. He's as strong as Kawhi. Like that's the thing that I think that that was one of my fun takeaways from the series last year. And I'm just, I don't know. I, I, I'm really wondering where the spots are for the Mavericks to to take advantage of. Are are, are you seeing any when you kind of look into this? Yeah, and you you kind of touched on a bunch of things I want I want to follow back up on when you talk about one of the first things you said about guard. How do you guard this Clippers team? When seemingly every player, you know, they don't have a guy you can hide a guy on. Like, mm-hmm. they just don't play anyone like that. At the very least, like Zubak, he can't shoot, but he is a tremendous uh, kind of spacer, like in a Dwight Powell sense, in, in terms of setting screens and, and knowing where to be around the rim and, and being a good finisher. Kirk, last year in the playoffs, here are the point totals the Clippers scored in those six games. 118, 127, well, hold on. 118, 114, 130, 133, 154, 111. Mm. Um, and that's with, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba playing. No Chris stops after the, after the last couple of games. But when you consider, like, how much – consider how good the Clippers scored the ball against the Mavericks in the playoffs last year. Consider that the Clippers are a better roster than they were last season, uh, especially if these guys can can be healthy and play. Uh, like Patrick Beverly, uh, consider that the Mavericks defense is worse than it was last season. Consider that Kristaps Porzingis defense has fallen off. However much you want to argue, like there's no argument that it has dropped off. How much you want to argue is up for, for greater debate, but it has decreased. Uh, Maxi Kleba has a hurt Achilles and we do not know the status of him. Um, that's that's bleak. That's a bleak picture. Even if the Mavericks are 100% uh, with the Kristaps uh, decline on the defensive end, this is going to be an uphill battle. And now, you know, Maxi Kleba might not be 100%. Like, it, it, like they're going to have to outscore the Clippers, I think, to really make this a series. Uh, I just don't see where the defense is really going to come into play. Uh, but you talked about looking for some bright spots because you're right, the numbers do overwhelmingly favor the Clippers. I mean – very quietly, the Clippers are second in the NBA in net rating. Uh, they have a top three offense and a top eight defense. Like they have championship profile 
written all over their advanced numbers, despite the fact that they kind of took the last three weeks of the season off, which, hey, might if they get all these guys back and they're right, then that's that's going to be the right call, obviously. Uh, we'll see if they can snap back into it uh, right away in game one. Uh, in terms of where I could see the Mavericks taking advantages, the thing about you know last season was – so they only had Christoph Porzingis for two and a half games. You can almost argue one and a half games because he got ejected uh, in game one uh, pretty prematurely. They did not have Dwight Powell. Say what you will about Dwight Powell, but he mattered to this team in the rotation. They did not have Jalen Brunson, and they did not have Willie Cauley-Stein. Uh, Boban Marjanovic was playing a lot of minutes in the playoffs last mm-hmm. year, like way more than you would expect. They didn't have a backup big because they played Maxi and Kristaps. Then Kristaps got hurt and they played Maxi. Basically they ran him into the ground guarding Kawhi and being the five basically without a, a proper backup. It was basically Boban who you can only play so many minutes. Um, they didn't do, they had to bring in Trey Burke who was obviously great in the bubble, but as we, you know, Jalen Brunson is a better player than Trey Burke. And we probably would have said that, you know, at times last year too. Uh, so Brunson is going to be huge in terms of helping stave off the Clippers' depth because that's the thing, you know, Kawhi or Paul George hit the bench and they seemingly don't lose too much of a beat because of their depth. So Brunson's going to be key. Having Powell and Willie Cauley-Stein, you know, they might have some bad games, but the fact that they can take minutes and Boban doesn't have to take those minutes is going to be huge. So so that's it. And it's, and it's Kristaps and it's, to me, the big thing, the big story of the series is going to be it feels fairly obvious that uh, Zubak is not going to guard Kristaps right off the bat. I, I got to imagine that they're going to put a wing on Kristaps, whether that's Marcus Morris or Kwai or Paul George. They're going to put a wing on Kristaps. They're going to switch all the pick and rolls because they, you know, it's going to be basically similar players guarding, you know, Luca and Kristaps. They're not going to care if Kristaps posts up because I think they'd want that even with Kristaps improved post-up game. I think they'd rather this Mavericks offense have Kristaps dribbling the ball and taking a turnaround 18 footer than, than anything else Luca can do. Uh, and they're probably going to put Zubak on one of Dorian Finney Smith, or maybe even Josh Richardson. And they're going to basically dare those guys to beat them from deep and have Zubak try to wall off the rim. Like I truly believe that's just going to be what's going to happen. And that's not like me being a basketball savant. Like that's pretty, pretty obvious. Cause we saw, we've seen teams do that to the Mavs in the regular season, like the jazz did. Uh, and the thing with Dorian is he's beaten that defense uh, repeatedly this season, much to, to maybe even my surprise, uh, maybe some of yours too, Kirk. I mean, He's closed the season it really well. Maybe not the last maybe two weeks. He's had a couple of clunkers, but from April till now, he's been fantastic. And it seems absolutely bananas to say this, but the mat the key to the Mavericks' success in the playoffs might rest in the hands of Dorian Finney-Smith. Like him hitting open threes and taking advantage of that space, whether it's making a play and, and moving the ball to the next open man and attacking a closeout. Like, that's kind of it. Like, without it being it, that's kind of it. Like, if he does that, the Mavericks are going to be competitive and maybe win. If he has 0 for 4, 2 for 7, three-point shooting games, you know, 1 for 6, they're going to lose every single game that he shoots that poorly, I think. Um, 
and I know that seems harsh for a guy like Dorian to put it on his shoulders, but I just no, feel the, like the numbers back it up. Like yeah. if he's if he shoots like thirty five percent or better, the Mavs win. If he shoot, it's something like this. It's it's probably higher. I want to say it's like thirty eight ish percent, but it, it it's just one of these these things where if he shoots the ball well, the Mavs win because, like you said, that 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 he helps break the defense. Um, let me ask you something. I've been thinking about the entire time you've been talking. I apologize. How? It's okay. I was rambling. How does Luca's improvement in the mid-range yes. change stuff? Well, you talked about Zubak guarding him really well at the rim, mm-hmm. so that's the counter, right? If he okay. can't get by him at the basket, uh, Luca is forty-eight percent on mid-range this year. He's fifty percent on shots in the paint, not restricted area, uh, which is outrageous. And honestly, we probably should be talking about that more. Like that, those are crazy. They're crazy numbers. Elite numbers. Yeah, like. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was under 40% for that in the paint, non-restricted area last year. Uh, so it's that's the counter. So if he can't get by Zubox or he can't get all the way to the rim and the Clippers kind of guard him into that, into that mid-range area, he's more than comfortable taking advantage of that. And maybe that's another key key to the series as well. Uh, in addition to, you know, what's his three-point shot going to be like? Because I feel like ever since he had that really hot run, it's been a little hit or miss since then. Uh, so that's huge. Uh, how much he can take advantage of that mid-range game? Like how much are the Clippers going to allow it to happen? Uh, will Luca take advantage of it? Can he hit those shots that he was hitting in the regular season? Like that's probably the next step for him, right? Because last year uh-huh. it was truly, it was just threes or rim. And if teams took those two things away uh, and he, he couldn't get to the free throw line, he didn't really have any other ways to score. Uh, so he has that counter now. So this is what it's for. It's for the playoffs, especially. So I have a lot of questions, many, <laughs> many questions that, I, that I've just kind of been, been rattling around in my head. The first one that, that I just want to kind of fire off is, are there anything, is there anything that the Mavericks, particularly Rick Carlisle, has been doing that you think he will completely trash come the, the this playoff series? Ooh, that's a really good question. Can um, I give you an example of yeah, what you think about it? Yeah. The Jalen Brunson, Trey Burke lineups fucking suck and have <laughs> sucked and continue to suck. And he keeps playing them. I just, I, where I go with, with Rick is, is I think he does some things to throw the scent off. I just do like tape is a real thing. And he's kind of a lunatic about this stuff, which is why he gets so pissy when he talks about any sort of, or he gets questions about any sort of strategy during um, availability. Cause he doesn't want to talk about it. And he, he lies through his teeth. All coaches do. Don't get me wrong. But he, like, takes extra special care. And it just wouldn't put it – I wouldn't put it past him to get this kind of cute, to have a whole bunch of stuff. It's why, like, like I had, I had a conspiracy theory that I shared with some of my Twitter followers about I really thought if Reddick was healthy, Reddick would start in the playoffs. Just, like, like Josh Richardson to the to the uh, uh, phantom zone and, and Rick Carlisle <laughs> would put – jj reddick in and only play him like four to five minutes and then figure something out like so that's where my head is in terms of um is there anything you think he'll just toss um i don't know i want to say he might toss the two big lineups but i don't know uh i would because i the money lineup is dorian at the four like i think that's where they have to get to and some of the season data backs that up as well um, their best lineup all season, coincidentally, was the the Maxi KP, you know Richardson, uh, you know Luca, 
Finney Smith lineup, you know, their normal starting lineup at a 12.6 net rating and almost 300 minutes. It's just not, not, not bad at all for your, for your starting lineup. So I'm not sure. Cause he's been tinkering with the lineup down the stretch. He started one big when Kristaps was out and I think they had really good success, but they were also playing mostly bad teams. Uh, and then the last couple of games, he has done Kristaps and Powell uh, uh-huh. with Richardson off, off the bench. I think the thing will be, uh, if we're, I don't know if this is crazy, but I really think there's a good chance that Josh Richardson picks up DNP CDs. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. my hot take, I guess, in terms of a drastic rotational change, because I think his defense is hard to quantify. I think this season because it's hard to tell how much is him, how much is COVID gotten to him, and then how much is the Maverick scheme potentially holding him back. Uh, but either way, his presence on the floor is not game changing on the defensive uh-huh. end. And whether that's his fault or not, I don't know, but that's just the, the fact of the matter. Uh, and his offense is so bad. Like the Mavericks are going to have to outscore teams. And I would not be shocked if he's playing like seven, 10 minutes in some of these playoff games if his, if his shot isn't there and yep. the offense is getting gunked up. Well, it's funny you bring up the two big lineup. Porzingis, and this is where I just like everybody tells me he's smart, right? Everyone. He's smart. He knows what's going on. And he had this these glowing quotes, which Brad Townsend retweeted about, you know, talking about how, you know, an engaged KP or is a happy KP is an engaged KP. And KP had been talking about how he thinks him and Powell have done some things in practice that will help their defense. Well, I really, I really hope. It will help their defense because minutes played with Powell and KP are in the zero percentile for defense. They're the worst in the league. So I'm just like, what is he talking about? <laughs> like he's I, savvy. He he knows how to he knows how to talk to the media. That's I just feel like I'm in a constant misinformation campaign brought about by the Dallas Mavericks and aspects <laughs> of the local media where I'm just like these things are are publicly accessible that to like like is talk Franco talked about this today in our Slack by the time this publishes on Thursday, May 20th, you know, look, those of them hearing this, you know, Thursday afternoon, Friday morning is talks going to be put, doing a you know kind of a deep dive stats post at some point. And he's talked about this, like these lineups stink and the Mavericks got beat a lot. They, I just, I feel crazy sometimes because, and you know, part of it's fun. This is why I don't really consider myself a real media member because I don't, you know, not knowing what's coming next at this point in the season has elements of like real, like that's really exciting. It's also kind of, it's wild because, you know, these Mavericks could do anything in this playoff series. Yeah, and you you want to just talk about Chris? We haven't really talked about Kristaps now. You kind of brought him up, why don't Because he's you're right. You've talked about it before. He's the X factor. We probably yeah. need to get into more him. And I, I agree with you about like not knowing like that. that he was so awesome last year. Yeah, so he I'm was looking so at awesome his playoffs last year and the three games he played. He averaged 23 points on 49 from the field, 52 from three, 87 from the line. Here's the thing that really stands out to me in the playoffs last year. Uh, free throw attempts per game, 7.7. He had 8, 8, and 7 free throw attempts in those three games. And granted, he played 20 minutes in one of those games and had 8 free throw attempts. 
Kirk Christoph Przingis has had seven or more free throw attempts this season, and I think four games. Yeah, this season, uh, his free throw rate is a career low twenty point two percent, which yeah, is he just avoid. He's avoiding contact like nobody's business. He wants and, that pull up. Yeah. yeah, or and maybe you know maybe he's he's lost a step because he's had two major knee surgeries in in three years or whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, his, I haven't been able to write about it yet, but his offense is almost all jumper. It's all jumper or when he gets assisted to, uh, at the basket, uh, I can't imagine his unassisted shots at the rim are probably anemic compared to where he was at the start of his season in New York. I don't have that up with me right now, but, uh, maybe that's something I need to look into as I write for Friday, but yeah, uh, can he get to the free throw line? Cause that's that's how you how stars score like if you're not someone who gets to the free throw line a lot you're not you know it's going to be hard to put up those big scoring games that teams rely on you for so we'll see um offensively it's been a strange season for him because he put up a career high true shooting percentage by a decent amount last year was his previous career high at 55 yeah uh, this year it was 58 so he's actually shooting the ball better i think the thing that drives people crazy is offensively is that he is not getting to the free throw line so he's just his bad games look worse because he doesn't like if he has a bad game shooting wise this season, he's having a bad game. Like he's scoring like 11 or 12 points with a bad shooting. Last year he got away with some of those bad shooting games. Cause he would get to the free throw line six, seven, eight times. Uh, and it would turn a bad game into an okay game. So I think well, he'd also just, play, he would also play defense. Play, yeah. He would all, yeah. That's the other part of it. And that's the part that you have been paying a lot of attention to. And, it's that's tough. I don't know what I don't know what the answer is for the defense. I don't know if it's if he's hurt, if he's if he's letting his foot off the gas and saving for the playoffs, if there's a legitimate decline between his physical capability and his body and what his mind wants to do. I, I don't know what it is. I'm interested to hear what you have to say because I know this has kind of been your thing with him in the defense, but I'm just at a loss for where the turnaround comes from with him on the defensive end. I really think it's effort based. I, I just do. You think, I think it's more he, so than the injuries? Well, I think the injuries play into his headspace in a very tangible way. But that's why I've been so I was so irritated that he played so poorly these final games. And it's like, oh, he's just got to he's got to get on the floor. Well, you know, I'm sorry. Anybody that's played basketball and goes like if you take a break playing basketball and then you go play again for a while, it takes a while to get your feel. Defense is hard. NBA defense strikes me as borderline impossible. And the Mavericks ask so much of KP. They do. But that's what he signed up for. So I, I'm I'm sorry to anybody that I personally offend with my criticism of these things, but this is what he is paid to do. And he has taken a step back. And the hope, and I think it's a justified hope, we're going to find out, obviously, which is why, like, you know, season or uh, playoff preview podcasts and, and writing have, have you know, a short shelf life. He could come out looking like a superstar, and we're going to say, okay, he's been kind of playing it close to the vest the whole season. And the main reason is because he didn't want to get hurt. And he hasn't gotten hurt this year. He rolled his ankle. And the ankle, you know, they played it cautious on purpose because the biomechanics of a 7-3 human are complicated. And so – where I go with him is that if he even shows a little bit of life on defense, that's going to be enough. It's going to be, it's going to matter. You know, 
the Clippers are so good that that you just kind of I'm not even talking about getting out of the you know the getting out of the first round just winning some games he's just going to matter because his effort level last year and part of why he got hurt and part of why he continues to get hurt is because he when he plays hard he lands differently you know he does like the one-legged like lands on dunks he chases off into boards differently Lord knows when he tore his his uh, his his knee up last season, uh, or which game it was in the playoffs. But he played a whole game with a with hurt knee. That much has been confirmed by the Mavericks. So he's a tough dude. He wants to play through injury. He wants to do well, but he understands that his body isn't working the way that he wants it to. And so I just I just sit here in my head and I'm wondering what is going to happen with with him because if if he comes out banging then that's going to that's going to throw the clippers whole game plan off and people are going to be yelling at me and calling me an idiot and i i i, I wish for that i just do <laughs> but you know previous performance is the best indicator for future success and this season has been atrocious on the defensive end it just has been yeah, what was it? He got a block in the season finale uh, against Minnesota, and this that was his first, first block first... in seven and six and a half games since April sixteenth. Uh, he has a career low block rate, four point one percent. Last year was five point four. Year before that, his season All Star season before he got toward the ACL was six point four. Mm-hmm. I know block shots aren't everything, but the Mavericks funnel a lot of guys to him. Uh, and he's relied on to be a, a rim protector. And so that career low block rate really, really, really sticks out. Uh, and teams are also shooting like 60 plus percent at the rim against KP uh, this season. So, yeah, it's tough because there's all the things you said, and I agree with you. And then there's also the other like part of it, which is that the Mavericks perimeter defense can be so bad that he, he like, you take his bad plays and then you add it to, the Maver- the guys up in front of him not doing their job either and it can be a really really toxic combination and i think that's when we see games uh like that minnesota game where they scored a million points that memphis game where they scored a million points in the first half uh we've seen this mavericks defense have some catastrophic performances and i think it's that combination of when their perimeter defenders aren't aren't staying in front of their guys which has happened way too much. And then KP's inability to clean up the mistakes as well as he was last year. Cause I mean, it's not like the perimeter defense has changed all that much from last season to this season. Maybe, I mean, yeah, it's been, you know, I would, I wouldn't say there's been necessarily a drop there. They're still inconsistent. They were inconsistent last year in terms of staying in front of their man, but KP was basically like a top three or four rim protector in the league last season. I mean, he was, he was yeah. outstanding and that's just not there. Uh, no. And it shows in the numbers. It shows in the tape. And well, they're going to need they, – they just need – they need better. They need that better. may be why I get so persnickety about all this stuff where it's just like the numbers and data show this stuff. This is not me being an asshole. <laughs> I mean, it's also me being an yes. asshole. But it's just – it's it's still there. And so it, if he comes out and, and I've – you know, that's my hope. I, I really need to communicate that more effectively. I want KP to look like a superstar because there are just there are flashes every game where he does something. That side alley oop thing that he and Luca do 
where he just like comes out of nowhere, like jaws to dunk the ball. Oh my <laughs> God. I love that stuff. You know, the, the Mavericks have in Cuban and all these, these people were highlighting this 1.18 point per possession on any sort of pick and roll involving Luca and KP. And they're being, they're being kind of annoying about it. Like, see, we told y'all. And it's like, you know, Guys, you don't run that. You don't run the it's like okay, well they have 300 possessions. There's 80, you know, there's 70 games in a season. There's, you know, 100 possessions per game. They can't I'd be shocked if there was any, you know, they just don't do aspects of the pick and roll near as much. And I've got a hope or not just pick and roll like like screens period for KP Luca. That has to be like they need to milk that play to death against yes. the Clippers. That has to be like and almost every other time or maybe more down the floor type mm-hmm. of action. Like it's almost like any, anytime Luca and KP are on the floor and they do not run a pick and roll together. That's, you can almost track that up to as a, a failed possession in a, in a way mm-hmm. that, ha- that has to change. Um, another thing about KP Kirk, I was looking this up also while you were talking about how you kind of talked about how he just needs to be a bigger star presence on the floor. And I was like, Hmm, I, by my rough count, I just did it, so I apologize if I'm off. <laughs> but I think KP only has three games this season of 30 points or more. Three. Uh, he had four 30 plus po- 30 or more point games in the bubble alone last year. Mm. Um, it's it goes with the free throws, I think, because a lot of those bubble free throw, all those bubble games, like the dude averaged like 10 free throw attempts per game in the bubble. And he's averaging what? Uh, how many free throw attempts is he averaging per game? He's averaging about five. Pretty low. Pretty low. It's like three. Oh, my God. This is terrible. Um, it's it's pretty low. Uh, 3.2. So he's – and he's a pretty consistent free – he's missing – you know, he's averaging 20 points a game. The bubble KP got an extra seven free throw attempts per game. That's basically, you know, that's six or seven extra points. And you're looking at KP's box score and he's got all these like 21, 22, 23 point games. Like that's the difference. Like I honestly think that's the difference. And that's why people think that he's having a worse season than he actually is in some ways because he's just not having those huge explosive games. And those huge explosive games usually correspond with you got 10 or 11 free throw attempts. And that's just not. It's not happening because he pulls up for for the short mid range jumpers off the glass. Which hey, he's making you know he's making about making them right. He's making them about 40, 40 or fifty percent of those, so that's okay. But uh, he's got to get to the free throw line more. The Clippers are going to switch, so like he's not going to have a big on him. I don't think a lot, so he's not going to have the speed advantage. I don't think. So I'm just curious how he gets his points in this series because if the Clippers play wing wing on KP and Luca, they're just like. <laughs> If Paul George or Kawhi is guarding Luka and Marcus Morris is guarding KP, I mean, the Clippers are going to switch that, right? So then what advantage do you have with the KP-Luka pick and roll if that's an immediate easy switch? And now Kawhi, you know, do you try to punish the other guy with with Kristaps and, and see if you can bait them into some fouls with the sight, the height the high advantage? You know, maybe that's the key. But whatever, wherever it comes from, he just has to produce like a – true second star for them to have a chance because the Clippers roster outside of, of George and, and Leonard is just so deep and stocked with shooting. Uh, that's going to be hard for the Mavericks to match them point for point with the other guys on the roster. I think. 
Well, we're almost out of time here, but this has been wonderful. I would say, you know, just to kind of give a a my prediction is I still kind of think Clippers and six, but if the Mavericks push it to seven games, anything is possible because this team, like is what we're talking about, what Josh just kind of discussed there for two or three minutes, is that the Mavericks, if things work out right for them, they can't really be stopped. Uh, yeah. It, it's it, We've seen it. Uh, I mean, again, they hung, they beat this team by a, un, by they had they were a fifty point margin on this team at one point in in, in largest halftime lead in history. So I'm really looking forward to it, Josh. What is what is your prediction, and then we'll get on out of here. Uh, I guess I'm going to be take the coward's way out and say Clippers in six because I think that's like the rational, level headed, uh, you know, take on that. But like in my heart, I feel like this is either going to like. <laughs> like my non-betting, like my heart, my gut tells me this is either going to be like Mavericks in six or seven or Clippers in four or five. Like I kind of feel like if the Clippers are going to win this series, it's going to be over pretty soon. But if the Mavericks win, they're going to stretch this thing out and be competitive. Like, I don't know. I just, that's what my gut's telling me. Hopefully I'm wrong. Uh, well, hopefully I'm right on the, on one side, hopefully I'm wrong on the other side. So, so we'll see. Uh, but I think it can't be, so if there's one thing uh, I want to leave this podcast with before we get out of here, um, and I've already gone over our allotted time, and Kirk is going to have some fun editing this. Um, like if you're someone who – obviously our regular listeners are going to know this, but if you're someone who's getting back into basketball now that the playoffs are starting and you're trying to kind of figure out what's what's going on, I cannot emphasize enough, the Clippers are a really, really good basketball team. Um I know that you'll go on Twitter and you'll see a bunch of jokes about Paul George. We'll make them jokes about Ty Lue, you know, all, you know, the dysfunctional stories that came out when they lost last season after in the nuggets in the second round, which is disappointment. I understand all that. I understand that, you know, some Mavs fans were angling for the Clippers because there's like this perception that they're just not a mentally tough team, which might be true. We'll see what happens in this playoff round, but I just can't say just, Watching this team as much as I could this season and looking at the data and trying to analyze this, just the Clippers are are very good. So just realize that, understand that the Mavericks are in for a challenge. They are good enough to pull it off. So we'll see, but uh, it's just, it's going to be a tough matchup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh being on locker room with some of our, our our wonderful fans and followers i think a lot of people were kind of in it for for really looking forward to the clippers for the emotional aspects of yes, you know yes. what what the story would be of like if luca beat this team yeah, what would it's it a mean? good story it's a great story rick carl beating rajon rondo great story <laughs> yes, we didn't, we you know, we've even... not even talked about oh it maybe God. we will at a different pod but it's it's a lot of fun so that's that's kind of where i am now i agree with you like this is going to be this is you know, above all else, you know, it, it came to kind of mind recently. I was talking to to just some fans where it's like, if you go back and look from, you know, the start, if you're a Mavs fan in the late, in the 90s, like period, like old 90s, Ross Pro Jr. ownership 90s, things were very bad. Mark Cuban <laughs> owns the team. And from, you know, they went on a pretty preposterous playoff run from 2000. Let's see here. It's like they lost. They, they only didn't make the playoffs once between like 2001 and 2016. So they're like 14 years of playoff success. Just really some incredible. But at, when you look at that, they really only got out of the first round like three times. <laughs> and the thing that I want to implore upon our fan base is 
is getting out of the first round is hard. It means you're one of the top eight teams in the league. And I know where people are like, ah, you know what? This team should be in the top eight. I want them to be in the top eight. Look, Josh and I agree. But these playoff moments are so far and few between where, you know, we could be Kings fans. The Kings fans haven't made the playoffs since 2006. It has been forever. That's so okay? crazy. There have been like 14 presidents between then. I had a <laughs> child. Josh got married. I had a child. You had a child. Like they give, <laughs> they gave us children in that time span. Like there's a lot of things that have gone on. Dirk and had so, long hair and a goatee. <laughs> you hair. I mean hair. Remember yeah. hair? It's a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's just something where where you know you wrote the column about why are fans so mad, and I get it. I'm mad. I'm very, I'm mad game to game, big picture. I'm kind of like, ah, you know, this is, this is fun. This is where we're supposed to be. And so if you get a few playoff moments, if you get to watch games with your friends, if you get to like text your friends about it, or, you know, if you're lucky enough, if you're a Mavs Moneyball fan, you get to go to a game, lean in because this does not happen all that often. Getting to the playoffs is really important. And we just don't emphasize that enough. I agree. I agree 100% with everything you just said. Can't say it better myself. Okay, well, that's the last happy-ass thing you people are going to hear from me for a while. (laughs) When the Mavericks lose by 15 in game one, we will be here to (laughs) rip heads off and shit down necks. Okay, well, so just for for scheduling purposes, um, I will be hosting a locker room on Friday afternoon, which will go up as a podcast Friday evening. The Mavericks play at 3.30 Central Time on Saturday on ESPN versus the Clippers. We will be all over coverage. If you've not checked out MavsMoneyBall.com, I was I kind of told our staff I wanted everybody to take it easy this week, and instead we had more posts per day than we've had in, in, in all season. Everybody's really psyched. So go to Mavs Moneyball, check us out. We'll be doing uh, you know the, the locker room, like I mentioned. We'll be doing post-game coverage. We're going to be all over this until we are done because, you know, we struggle and we fight just, you know, as hard as we can as in terms of hobbyists to get to the playoffs and enjoy this and do as much as we can. And so we will be here with you. And so please, you know, like, subscribe, tell your friends. I know that sounds weird, but, you know, <laughs> uh, what I've found for, uh, about, you know, particularly with our locker room is that, you know, the word of mouth is plays a big deal. Where it's like, oh, this is fun. You should check it out. And people do. So, Josh, you got anything else? No, I think that's it. I've already blown through our, our time allotment, so let's get, let's get the hell out of here. All right. Okay, guys, this has been Kirk Anderson and Josh Bowe with your special uh, edition of Mavs Moneyball After Dark, the playoff preview, and we will talk to you all in a few days.